Jeff Bezos going to space? Oh man, I wanted to make a meme about it using the Bo Burnham song. Yeah, have like the rocket launching and then have the song being like, oh. you did it! You did it! <laughs> Can you imagine if he played that in the cockpit as they were going up? I wonder, do you think Jeffrey Bezos has heard that song? I'm sure he's seen it. You think he's heard I'm that sure song? I'm sure he's like heard it or at least heard of it. I, for a second, I thought you were going to say, could you imagine if the rocket ship exploded? <laughs> that thought did cross my mind as well. What would happen? There are probably some celebration coming from the Amazon employees, the underpaid and working their menial jobs. I was super curious about Bezos today, just with all the news and the history of Amazon, because I was curious to be this guy. I don't really know anything about his past until I started doing some digging. I heard he used to stand with a bullwhip and whip people in the back as they weren't working hard enough. I can't tell if you're being facetious or not. I am being facetious. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently he was always uh, a ruthless businessman, but... You did it. He did it. Congratulations. Jeffrey Bezos is jacked. He is on that human growth hormone or something, man. He's pumping testosterone like his life depends on it. If you look at a picture of Jeff now compared to 15 years ago, something happened. Like <laughs> radical life change. Could it just be diet and exercise? No, it no, couldn't. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that was part of it. But you're not the richest man on planet Earth and not taking supplements. <laughs> like mad cutting edge. Oh, He's literally Lex Luthor. I know. I looked. watched a GIF today of him from last year, I think, or a couple years ago, playing with robotic arms in some sort of tech lab and he's literally a supervillain. the only problem is we don't have a hero <laughs> to combat him we, i need a hero i need a hero <laughs> that's what alpha be singing interesting segue wasn't nick cage supposed to be superman at one point in time yeah he was in this project that warner brothers greenlit called superman lives and it was attached to i think the same project that kevin smith was also writing because he was greenlit to write a superman movie at one point before he backed out and he's like this is stupid i can't do this because everything i write is dialogue heavy when was that a while back but i think at the time that nick cage was attached it was at a different time that the same project was under a different writer producer but speaking of warner brothers i just watched space jam oh yeah <laughs> a new legacy tell us a little bit about that one steve talk about a commercial for warner brothers yeah this movie was jam-packed with every ip warner brothers is legit everything we have is cool did they have i mean they reached as far back as casablanca that was a they put brothers? lebron james into casablanca what yes <laughs> And then as far progressive as Rick and Morty, they showed up in it. King Kong, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, they leaned on that a lot. Did they put any of Snyder's stuff in there? Not really. They did talk about Wonder Woman a lot. They showed Wonder Woman, but it was all animated. Anyway. Did LeBron get his son back from Don Cheadle? <laughs> So just for posterity, Stephen, can you tell us why Don Cheadle kidnapped LeBron's son? So Don Cheadle played a Warner Brothers algorithm. Like an AI? Yeah, essentially the AI that controls what they called the cyberverse or it's everything. The Matrix. All of the history. The Matrix was in this too. Epic. But every single movie, every cartoon, anything that Warner Brothers has ever done, Don Cheadle was the AI that was in control of all of that. So that AI puts together this pitch to pitch lebron james on doing something with warner brothers and lebron james in the pitch meeting this is in the movie says that was the worst thing 
thing I've ever seen. And Don Cheadle gets butthurt and then leads LeBron and his son, Dom, into a... Played by Vin Diesel. <laughs> a room and then transports them into the internet, the cyberverse. And then he's just trying to get revenge on LeBron James. And he basically says, I'm going to trap you here forever if you don't have a basketball game with me. But it wasn't even a basketball game. It was LeBron James's son designed this video game based on basketball, which wasn't really basketball. The same rules didn't apply. It was like a video game version of basketball. So one shot might have been like 76 points instead of three points, you know? Wow. So the rules were ridiculous and LeBron like had zero chance of winning without the help of the Looney Tunes. Anyway, did we see Michael Jordan? That was the funniest part of the movie. They're like, we found Michael Jordan. And everyone's like, oh my gosh. And it's Michael B. Jordan who walks out. It's actually Michael B. Jordan. And then Michael B. Jordan's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That was the best part of the movie. Wow. But to quote, you know, one of the memes that I loved the most, you know, maybe we should consider that Space Jam, A New Legacy is not bad, but you know, I'm just 34 years old. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, it's worth considering. Yeah. Anyway. I dearly loved the first movie, and I don't think you could pay me enough to sit through this one. I didn't know anything about LeBron James going into this. He's the go. Like, I learned through this movie that he's now on the Lakers. I had no idea. That's our podcast for today. (laughs) So, what are we here to talk about today? Well, Stephen, today I thought it'd be fun to spend a little time talking about America's sweetheart. Not LeBron. (laughs) But uh, Nicolas Cage, he is popped off once again. A movie just released called Pig, sort of uh, flying under the radar a little bit. I think it might have been Neon that I f- I distributed like it, it. It grabbed a lot of attention from the trailer, like because it looked so good. Yeah, there's there's some buzz, but I think your average uh, moviegoer will probably not have any idea what you're talking about when you bring up, hey, you see Pig? You, you watch Pig? You heard anything about Pig? Pig. You saw this at a double feature, right? You watched Roadrunner. Yeah. Well, a few movies came out, one of them being Space Jam last week, and two others were Pig and Roadrunner, which is the Anthony Bourdain biopic uh, documentary. So on Friday, I foregone, I forewent Space Jam. <laughs> forego? forego? I, I passed on Space Jam and I went to see, I really wanted to see Roadrunner because, not the Warner Brothers property, but... Um, <laughs> he was in Space Jam. Yeah. He was. That's probably why they had to subtitle Roadrunner. It's because of that. But I went to see Roadrunner because I was a big fan of Anthony Bourdain. He is a very interesting person to me. So I saw that. And then incidentally, Pig, which I also really wanted to see, happened to work really well as a double feature because both films, while not really about cooking and food, that is a integral part of the narrative of both Anthony Bourdain's life and the character that Nick Cage plays. And really quick, how was Roadrunner? It was great. I haven't watched a lot of documentaries in my time, but this was really well done, I think, for the most part. It basically covers, you know, Bourdain from the 90s when he writes his book in the early 2000s and then his 25 years. Honestly, his media career was pretty short because he passed away a few years ago. So from the early 2000s through when he passed away, his whole thing, starting with the Cook's Tour, which was his first series televised program, and then into No Reservations and then Parts Unknown. Did it talk about how No Reservations was made into a movie with Aaron Eckhart? There was a there was a brief cutaway to a scene where Bradley Cooper's in the kitchen making out with a woman. Yeah. 
I don't know who it was. I saw that movie in the theater. I didn't know that was a takeaway spinoff of his show. I had no idea either until you educated me about who Anthony Bourdain was a few weeks ago. Yeah. So that was great. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Cried a little bit at the end because they, they talk about his death and, you know, they have like 20 people mm. who were kind of walking you through his life from producers to friends like David Cho, I think is his name, the artist. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's awesome. He's really interesting. He's going to get his own show, right? He already does. Oh, he already does? Yeah, it's really good. He's a really fascinating guy. Yeah. And then I saw Pig, which carried that mood forward. I really didn't know what to expect. This is a movie, I guess I could talk a little bit about the creative team putting it together, because it kind of came out of the blue. Michael Sarnosky is his name. He's done some other work in various roles, but I think this would be considered his first feature debut. But he wrote and directed it. He developed the story with Vanessa Block, who also has done some small stuff in the past. And I don't know what pulled Nicolas Cage to the project other than to say (laughs) he takes a lot of interesting roles these days. He does. And I was particularly curious about that. So I did some research and apparently he's had some financial troubles in the last 20, 30 years because he is a... That's a long time to have financial troubles. Well, he's been a movie star since he was young. I don't think child actor status, but if you Google Nicolas Cage, uh, <laughs> how, to, how to put this, like expenditures, he's bought all kinds of just random stuff. Oh, he's got a purchasing problem. Yeah, he loves to spend money. So I think what led him to do this in the last decade, like post- National Treasure and Ghostwriter was uh, he just he needed the money and face off. But over the last decade, he's become sort of this cult figure. Yeah, where he takes all these really bizarre roles. <laughs> the last thing I had seen right before this was a trailer called Willy's Wonderland, which was essentially like the he plays this janitor who doesn't speak the whole time. It's like a dark kind of thriller horror comedy, and it's like in a Chuck E. Cheese sort of animatronic monster, animatronic monster kind of thing. It looks like a movie adaptation of the Five Nights at Freddy's video game, which is yes big for our gamers that are born after the year two thousand. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, more recently, so he's at the point now where he can do movies like that, and uh, people will love it. Either unironically or ironically, it doesn't matter. But he's found a lot of success doing that. He did Mandy to great acclaim a couple years ago. Right after that, he did A Color Out of Space, oh, the yeah. Lovecraft adaptation that I saw right before theaters went down. The last, last thing that I remember him actually being decent in was Kick-Ass 1, which was like, what, like 2007 or something? Yeah, it was a long time. I forgot that he was also in Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse as Spider-Man Noir, but I, I haven't seen him actually be good in something in a while. Well, I would say Pig is that movie. This was a film that you you had some vibes from the trailer. You felt like you might have an idea going into it of what to expect because it plays off of what I can affectionately call the John Wick trope, Mm. as it is, where you have kind of a rogue, rugged figure minding his own business with a mysterious past who is thrown back into this dark and gritty world because some random jerk-off comes and kills his pet. For John Wick, it was his beloved dog, right? For Nick Cage, it was his pig. So the movie opens with Nick Cage just doing his own thing in the woods. Very understated, very introspective, quiet, slow build. It looked like it was going to be like an action movie or something. Like he was yeah, going to well, turn into John Wick. That's why I was saying the trailer looked like start shooting people it was going to be in classic Nick Cage fashion that he would fly off the handle and completely become unhinged by the end of the film. Mm-hmm. That was the expectation, I think, for me and 
everyone else who was kind of hyped for this movie because this is what Nick Cage does these days. It was getting good ratings too, like critics. Yeah. Yeah. But the movie was absolutely not that in the best way possible. So the whole first half of the movie, you're still expecting for this to happen because he's doing the John Wick. Okay. He's pulled out of his solitude to search for his pig. pig, And you would expect to seek vengeance against the person who took his pig. Midway through the film, leading even more into the John Wick trope, seedy parts of the food service industry underworld are unveiled to the viewer. Nicolas Cage, his character Robin Feld, is a great renown in these circles, not just as a, as you come to realize, a famous chef in his heyday, but he is apparently someone who can take a beating in this underground, it's not even a fighting ring, it's like a beatdown ring. It's where food service workers can go and relieve their stress by just absolutely punching and kicking the sh- out of other people <laughs> that sounds very fantastical like it doesn't sound like a real thing that exists. yeah it's very it's very you know you're going down the rabbit hole and and like departing from reality and entering this why is it just food service workers that's just the lore of the film for john wick it was a league of assassins for nicholas cage and pig there's just a community in portland underground food service workers like kind of black market transactions and stuff going on with different products. And then the fighting ring beat down thing is just there as well. So he goes there because he's got to get information and he writes his name on the wall, takes a beating to show people that he's back (laughs) only to find his pig. And this kind of noir detective path leads us to discover that we find the guy who has his pig. And incidentally, it's the father of the kid who he's been traveling with throughout the course of the film, who is like his handler, sort of. Because Nicolas Cage's thing these days is he hunts truffles or something in the woods that we're not really sure what becomes of them. I think they're turned into drugs. Anyway, he tracks down the guy who has his pig, and it's this guy's father. Alex Wolf is the kid who is the son from Hereditary. He's great. And so instead of approaching this conundrum with violence, as you would expect, as John Wick would do, Nicolas Cage approaches all the potential conflicts in the second half of the film with... Great aplomb. I'm not even sure how to describe it. He... From the way that you described it, it seemed like a very Ted Lasso kind of thing, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but he... It is that in in the sense that it is positivity, but it's very emotional. Like, he cuts right to the core of the person he's speaking with. The first time we see that is at a scene where he's sitting down at a fancy restaurant with Alex Wolf, and their host comes over to serve them, who happens to be uh, an ex-employee of Nicolas Cage's from 20 years prior. And this guy, who Nick Cage has to get information from, Nicolas Cage essentially completely psychologically breaks this dude by revealing to him and to the audience that this isn't this guy's dream, that he had f- he had passed up on his earlier dreams of like what he wanted to do in life which was at the time he wanted to own a pub and now he's doing this fancy restaurant that is completely soulless completely heartless and cold i saw an interesting quote on the film that pretty much hit the nail on the head the whole film is a commentary on how soulless the consumerism process is and how these people are selling out like they're creating an industry that there's no substance to it these fancy restaurants that are all like gimmicks and Mm -hmm. that's how i feel about this 
brewery that popped up recently. Yeah, that's a perfect example. It's like there's no identity. Yeah, there's no heart yeah. or soul yeah. in it. That's essentially what he's what he's doing. So mm-hmm. he's talking to this guy, and the camera's just resting on his face for a while, and you're watching him just like all the facade is melting away, and this guy's just literally like breaking down in the middle of the restaurant. And that's what Nicolas Cage does instead of, you know, shoot him or beat the shit out of him. And so... Movie goes on and he gets to the climactic encounter with the guy who took his pig and he does the same sort of thing. He cooks a meal for him with his son and it's the same meal that this guy had 20 or 30 years ago with his wife, which was an incredibly important moment in this man's life. And his wife is now... She's on life support. Anyway, this guy, the assumption is that he's become cold and villainous because of that Mm -hmm. lost connection with his wife. Mm -hmm. And then, consequentially, the fallout with his son, Mm -hmm. who is this kid we've been with. So what Nicolas Cage does, in the same vein as the host from the other restaurant, is he prepares this meal for this guy because Nicolas Cage can remember every meal he's ever cooked and every person he's ever cooked for because he's like a savant chef. And he makes them this meal, and this guy breaks down and tells Nicolas Cage, I'm sorry, but your pig is dead. The junkies who stole it, who were supposed to bring it to me, were too rough, and they accidentally killed it. And then Nicolas Cage breaks down, and then he has to sort of resolve to continue living. And then he does. Alex Wolf drives him back out into the wilderness, and they part ways, everyone having changed for the better. Alex Wolf has had a complete character 180. Yeah. This villainous father figure is uh, assumably... Who plays that guy? Adam Arkin. Hmm. I don't think any relation to Alan. But yeah, Nicolas Cage walks back into the wilderness because he doesn't need the pig to hunt the truffles. He can find them on his own with the trees. But the pig was just there for companionship because he had also lost his wife in the past. The tagline for the movie from the trailer and on the poster is, we don't get a lot of things to really care about. So this film, you know, outside of the social commentary with consumerism, is about characters or people, I guess. Finding reasons to live Mm. uh, and that essentially boiling down to their relationships with people Mm -hmm. or not even just people, but like, you know, Nicolas Cage's situation, it was the pig. Yeah. But it was basically that it was reasons to live and people to live for, you know, which is why I thought it it made such an interesting companion piece to the the Anthony Bourdain biopic, because that was also a man who spent his whole life searching for Mm -hmm. that, searching for that thing that would bring him fulfillment, like a reason to live not a purpose, but like those connections that you make in your life. Right. The people that make life worth living. The way that you described Nicolas Cage's character in Pig reminds me of the Ted Lasso show from Apple, which has, I think, by far and none been the most successful thing Apple TV has produced so far. But a lot of people compare Ted Lasso to Christ, like actual Jesus Christ. Damn. You know. The narrative of Jesus is, and how Christ affects people positively everywhere that he went, apart from the Pharisees. But the way that you described Nicolas Cage, he seems very much like to be a... Uh, like an analog for Christ. Yeah, an analog for Christ in that way, positively affecting, creating change everywhere that he goes. That's absolutely uh, spot on, I think. Yeah. And not, not <laughs> he even looks like Jesus <laughs> in the <laughs> desert throughout the film. He's a little bit heavier in this too, isn't he? Yeah, he's a little heavier set. And he spends most of the film with dried blood on his face and body because <laughs> ever since his pig is stolen in the first 15 minutes of the movie, he doesn't clean himself up. Yeah. Even in the dinner he's cooking at the end for this family, he's still covered in blood. And he takes multiple beatings 
or at least one. Like he even, takes even like sitting in the nice restaurant. He's yeah. He's just he's bloodied and <laughs> it's it's crazy to watch. I love that imagery, that dichotomy between like the clean and pristine, but it's a facade because you know it doesn't actually mean anything underneath. It's really interesting. Yeah, it was very powerful. Would you grade it like a very high? Grade? I would. Yeah. And not just because it's subversive and artistic, but because it was also just really well made. It had gorgeous cinematography. Like I said, everything's kind of understated. It's a very slow film, Mm -hmm. and all the technical aspects reflect that, from the camera work to the score to the direction. How was the score? It was beautiful. The score was by Alexis Grepas, Grepsas, (laughs) and Philip Klein. It was great. It completely blew me away. And again, not just because it was completely not what I had expected, but this is the best Nick Cage in the sense of like, it's a dramatic role Mm -hmm. that I've seen perhaps in all my life. I haven't seen every Nick Cage film, but I've seen a lot. I grew up with the golden age of Con Air and whatnot. Yeah, Yeah, Face Off. And there was a silliness to it. There's no moment in this film where he's hamming it up, which is not a pun. Because he's a, it's a pig. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I would recommend this film to people who, to everyone, actually. I would recommend this film to everybody. <laughs> okay. And I could, yeah. What's it rated, Dina? R? PG-13? I don't think it's R. It's rated R. It is rated R. And yeah, it was distributed by Neon, who's kind of catching up to A24 in that yeah. prestigious. Still a little bit more hit or miss than A24. A little less auteur, just slightly. Well, the cool thing about a Neon, too, is they do a lot of international stuff. Yeah. Like, they were mm-hmm. pretty sure the ones who brought us Parasite. But I'm really excited to see what Michael Sarnowski and co. do next. Nick Cage still has a lot of good years left in him. I also read this success and the sort of acclaim that came with this role in this film sort of surprised him, in a way. And I hope he takes this as encouragement Yeah. to... You know, still do the crazy stuff like Mandy and Color Out of Space that is amazing Mm -hmm. genre work, but also that he can still be the incredible dramatic actor that we've seen hints of in the past. Mm -hmm. Just really, really good stuff. Awesome. Here is some music from the movie Pig. This track's called Hunting.
For your safety, may I have your attention, please? Well, it's January of 2022. We recorded this episode in July. Holy crap. <laughs> Was it really July? Yeah, that's how long ago it's been. And I've been wanting to see this movie for a long time. And uh, I just saw it last night. Nice. You watched it on VOD? On like... I watched it for $3, rented it for $3 on Amazon. There you go. Support your local... Support your local. Indus- <laughs> <laughs> support your national film industry. Yeah. And Nick Cage, he needs the money, I think. Yeah. Maybe not anymore, but he did need it a few years ago. So I saw it, and um, I really liked it. I don't think I liked it as much as you did. Mm -hmm. I was hoping it would feel a little bit larger in scope and scale uh, for some reason. You were hoping that it would? But it felt felt like an indie movie to me. Like It it felt a lot like I was watching Brick or something, and... uh, which I, which is great. I I just didn't expect that. It seemed like it was going to be much more of a city like venture. Mm-hmm. But no, I, for some reason, the whole time I was watching it, I was thinking, oh, they probably had to get rights for this location and this location and this location. It seemed like it definitely had a budget, and it worked really well within the confines of that budget. It's obviously a really good movie and a very proficiently made movie. I, and I don't really have anything bad to say about it. It was a little slow at times. And the way that you made... We, we we had talked about him sort of being kind of this Christ figure, like a Ted Lasso kind of Christ figure in this episode. And... Did we? Yeah. <laughs> Did you listen to this to prepare yourself? No. I just remember... Did that comparison start with me? Because... No, that started with me. Okay. Because I... you were saying he goes and makes these changes mm-hmm. in these people's lives. Like he impacts them in a large way. But and he was very damaged himself wasn't he well yeah so that's one big thing that i would say here is that he's not much of a christ figure in my mind he's more of a selfishly motivated hurting individual everything he did when he sort of dismantles that that person that works at the restaurant that he used to work with that he fired and then he goes and cooks the meal for papa idiot can't remember his name alex wolfstad papa idiot he does that because he's trying to get his pig back and he's trying to sort of dismantle their way of thinking Mm -hmm. so that they break down and give him the information that he needs. So it was all very selfishly motivated and that's fine. Like, you know, it was, it was ultimately about him being a broken man, making his way and wandering through the movie and the plot of the movie. The most interesting part for me was his relationship with Alex and, uh, I can't even, I don't even know his character's name. But to me, it's just Nick Cage and Alex Wolf. <laughs> um, yeah, and that dynamic and how he constantly was... Nick Cage kind of has a short fuse in this movie, like he does in a lot of other movies. I don't know if I would call it his best performance. I don't even know if I would call it a good performance, to be honest. Which I know a lot of people have, but it was good to see him acting not over the top. Yeah, I think they really brought him down but there were still points where he it was almost like nick cage was bubbling underneath the skin of nick cage wanting to like burst out (laughs) you know you could feel the tension yeah the bad the bad uh acting underneath the skin and but no it was a good performance it just wasn't like as great as everyone was saying it was and i did enjoy it i think honestly one of my favorite performances of his is in kick-ass 
one. <laughs> I think that is such a funny performance by him. It is a, a legendary performance. But yeah, I really liked it. I would definitely recommend checking it out if you're into indie films and you want to see a good one. Especially, I think, with this director, Michael Cernoski, I think he's going places. And so to see where he is kind of starting here and where he's going to end up will be quite a fun ride. I think this was showcasing that he's got a great mind. It reminded me a lot of Vasta Night as well. Now we're just skipping time because we didn't do that podcast until way later. We're all out of sorts here. Yeah. But (laughs) yeah, really liked it. Want to ask me something? About the movie? Yeah. What was your favorite scene? (laughs) Honestly, I think Alex Wolf sort of stole the show for me. Um, I liked, I liked a lot of the little quirks. This movie was actually had a lot of funny parts to it too. Yeah. Um, like where I, I found it's sort of dark humor, but you know, you kind of find certain things funny. Like when <laughs> bloodied Nick Cage walks up to his old home and goes to the porch with the kid playing that little instrument and he sits down and the kid's like, does your face hurt? And he's like, <laughs> he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He does spend a lot of this movie just completely messed up yeah. <laughs> his face. But no, Alex Wolf going to the hospital to talk to his mom who's on life support, basically, oh, yeah. basically dead. That was an interesting scene. Alex Wolf going to <laughs> get the wine bottle from this woman who's like, at a mortuary or something that was interesting so i i just and then again the dynamic between alex wolf and nicholas cage's character really interesting like them going to get pie at the end and they don't have any pie and they get brownies instead or something what did you think about that um because the this movie does some interesting things the world building where it, it alludes to oh the underground fight yeah stuff that it doesn't really address later on it doesn't that was interesting because that's like one of those sort of pie in the sky no pun intended here because I just mentioned pie but like ideas that is introduced into these indie films that just sort of fit tonally mm-hmm. Brick does the same thing it's like you have these kids in high school trying to solve a murder mystery with like <laughs> drugs and stuff it's like and there, there's a weird like socio will be the term. There's like a social infrastructure in place that is part of the movie's world that is like that makes it fantastical. Mm-hmm. You know, it it makes it, it yeah. It separates it from reality. Right. I like those uh, movies that do that. Yeah. It shows a creativity. Yeah. That, that yes. always scores points in my book. And that's what I'm saying is I think watch it because Michael Sarnowski's creative and he's making cool things and he's only going to continue to make cool things, you know? Yeah. It also played against trope pretty well. I think that's the point where it sort of diverges from what you think will be a John wick film because he he just takes a beating and he doesn't give one. Yeah. Or at least not a physical beating. (laughs) He gives a psychological beating. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. Those are the, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we'll end it there because we're not going to talk much longer, but yeah, I'll probably just retread my thoughts from six months ago. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that's my take on pig. Bye. Bye bye. (laughs)